Welcome to The Peg Doesn't Fit. Peg Doesn't Fit is a podcast about the need for an educational paradigm shift. We have not quite decided if education is the whole or if it is the peg, but one thing is for sure, it doesn't fit. Join us each week as we explore our metaphor and discuss the need for a systematic shift in the American educational system. My name is Eric Stevens. And I'm Ryan Bartle. Welcome to The Peg Doesn't Fit. Welcome back. Hoping everybody had a great week. I know that I had a great week. Ryan, how was your week? I've had a really solid week, full of kinds of all kinds of stuff going on. It has been a while. I've been really excited. Actually, I've been thinking all week of our last interview with Ross Parker. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to check that out, I would certainly encourage you to go back to episode, uh, what was that, 13? Our last episode and check out uh, Ross Parker. He was our first series in our technology series. Here's what we got going on this week. We're going to take a little break from interviews, and we are going to, uh, Ryan and I are going to do a couple of different episodes. One, just kind of talking about our dream schools. So today's episode is going to include me, your co-host, Eric, talking about his dream school. But before we get started, let's catch the users up with what we've been doing this past week. You got anything exciting happen to you, Ryan? Well, I, I'll call it exciting. Uh, I, I went up to a smaller school district. I'd call it a mid-sized school district for uh, Kansas. Uh, still, you know, several hundred students there. I don't think they're in the thousands like a lot of Wichita schools. But what was great is I, I followed around one of the assistant principals all day doing some shadowing. And it was just, it was so apparent when we walked through the halls, the relationships he had built uh, over the years, and they've just switched back from remote into hybrid. But already, you know, he was peeking in classrooms, and you know, of course, he swore to me, "This is not a, this is not something I'm doing just because you're here. Like, this is what I do." And and that was clear. Like from the uh, cook staff, uh, they made us a special lunch uh, just because I was there. That was really what? welcoming. Yeah. Are you uh, serious? Yep, that was pretty awesome. Homegrown meals. Can't do that in uh, bigger districts. No, you cannot. But. But just everywhere he went, it did not matter whether it was staff. Did you guys have to pay for student. that much? We did not. Oh my gosh! I mean, they paid probably for it for me, uh, but it didn't matter where we went. Everywhere in that building, and it's a it's a giant school. But you could tell kids knew him, Mr. Flores, and uh, and he knew them and knew their stories. And I got to see even some of the back behind the scenes stuff of kids struggling to adjust to school and how he incorporated them back in. So that was really cool. Well, good. I'm glad you got that experience. I don't really have a outside of the school day story, but I find it something uh, exciting that did happen to me at school. I don't know how exciting it was. It was a little embarrassing and a little frustrating, but uh, I was gone Monday. I had some stuff I had to take care of. This cracked me up. I'll just say that. So uh, I was gone Monday. So on Tuesday, I had to, you know, I was catching up on my emails and I was looking at all my emails and I was rapid firing responses and I was deleting all my spam and I was and I was just trying to make sure that I got all caught up. And uh, and 
our instructional coach had sent a uh, she, she's looking for a, a different job not not a to a different school at the same job but she's actually looking for a different kind of instructional coaching job and she put me down as a reference but she misspelled my name so I was just kind of messing with her right I thought I was going to respond to her and say hey you misspelled my name ha 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 but I accidentally sent it to the whole staff Um, (laughs) so you know and I didn't realize that because I was continuing to rapid fire my emails and then all of a sudden my emails started blowing up did you mean to send this to the whole staff which obviously I did not so then I frantically started searching the internet to figure out how to recall a message as all of the emails continued to come in that I sent this <laughs> to the entire staff um, so it was very um, it was very upsetting I, I was very upset because I I do respect our instructional coach quite a bit and the last thing I want to do is to make her upset with me so once I finally got that recalled, you know, I spent some time texting her because um, we share her with another building, and I, you know, I was super apologetic. But it's a very embarrassing moment uh, that kind of, uh, you know, in case all you guys were thinking I'm perfect, now you know I am human, and I made a terrible error, and it is one that hopefully will help me slow down moving forward in the future. Let's get started real quick with the tweet of the week, and then I will share about my dream school. So we got this tweet from Erica Garcia. Her Twitter handle is actually at FlyingMonkey13, and I am curious about the 13 because I can't imagine that there's 12 other flying monkeys, Um, but possibly, who knows? So at FlyingMonkey13, here is the tweet. Sticking with what's comfortable is easy, but don't expect it to yield transformational results. What do you think about that, Ryan? Well, actually, there is even a reply to it that kind of was what my response to this would be, uh, just that there's no growth in the comfort zone. And I think that we have continued to stay in the comfort zone in education, and, and that's beautiful thing about what's happened to us over this last year as educators is it has forced us to learn something new and different and ultimately I still think a lot of teachers are trying to fit their comfort zone into the new way of doing school but it has I forgot what the the right word was rip the band-aid off so to speak as one of those terms for just go for it you know break out of that comfort zone and and rock and roll so uh, and how powerful that is and what what amazing growth that can come of it is is clear to me as somebody who really tries to push himself out of the comfort zone. But I also think, how do you encourage your uh, your peers to take those baby steps to get themselves to grow? I agree. And really, I picked this tweet because it kind of really aligns with the whole theme of our podcast because... You know, the, the theme of our podcast is the talking about the need for a systematic shift in how education works because we've been operating the same way for so long and not really making the changes to adapt to our current world. And I don't know if that's because it's just easier to stay the same or it's our comfort zone. It's what we're comfortable about. I mean, Ross brought it up last week in terms of when we talked about the biggest thing that he feels needs to be changed. And he goes, well, oftentimes, you know, when when an institution or a school, you know, they blow up everything and and try to say, this is what we're going to do. And and they start something new and and you're working and you're going 30 minutes and all of a sudden somebody does something stupid and you you just shut the whole thing down and go back to what works because it's comfortable and that's the way it's always been. So I'm with you. I'm glad you brought that up about the remote 
because you are right. And we did do an episode on remote learning. And, and one of my observations was that we were trying to teach the same way that we've always taught in a remote setting. And, and it's been really pleasurable to watch teachers grow throughout the course of this because they really have gone from that into some different ways of teaching and utilizing the technology. Uh, I'm just hoping that when we all come back to school full time, we can keep some of what we have learned and, and some of the changes that we've made instead of just result, re, revolting or reverting, that's the yep. word I'm looking for, reverting back to what we've always done. So thank you, Erica, for that tweet uh, and for, for making us think. And um, hopefully you guys will pick her up and start following her. She's got a, a – actually, Ryan brought a tweet of the week, too, from the same person. So she does say some profound things from time to time, and hopefully she will encourage you to push yourself and be a better educator. Let's move to my dream school. So uh, I've got a lot of notes here that I have written down, and uh, hopefully I can talk about it in a um, sequential manner that makes sense, but probably not because I do tend to be a little random. Ryan, I'm asking that sometimes if I get a little bit too outside the box, I need you to bring me back to reality. Uh, hopefully we can have a pretty decent dialogue. And then in a couple weeks, you'll get the opportunity to hear about Ryan's dream school as well. So before I get started, I just want to talk about, we need to understand that when we're talking about a dream school, there's obviously district, state, and national constraints that need to be taken in order. So, so some of what I might say might sound a little unrealistic. Um, we'll just kind of see how it goes. Uh, but if we're dreaming, let's start with this. I would like us to perhaps look at reducing the number of standards per subject and per grade level. We were in a meeting the other day and Ryan brought up because uh, we, uh, we are doing standards reference grading in our district and, and you know they're asking us to do at least three assessments per standard. And then Ryan brought up that you know for seventh grade language arts, there's 50 language arts standards. And if we're going to do three assessments per of those, that's, that's 150 assessments. And that doesn't even really count the assignments. So I think, you know, 150 assessments, you divide that by four, that's like 37 assessments per nine weeks. And, and then plus you want to do some assignments before the assessments. You're getting a lot of assignments and a lot of assessments. That's a lot of grading. But what I see the problem with that is that you're not able to really teach deeply on any of the standards. So, you know, I've been out of the game for a while in terms of curriculum and planning, and I'm more looking at pedagogical and, and, and how teaching is delivered and not so much the standards, but surely somebody can look at those 50 standards and start joining some of those up to where we can get break that down to like, even 15 or 20 standards so we can start looking at 10 assessments per standard rather than only being able to do a few standards. So I, I don't know, right? Am I, out of, am I off base there? Uh, you are not. That math, even if you just, well, first of all, I'd say there's no way, I think I heard you say get through all 50 and a quarter. I've barely made it through half of them and we're already half, over halfway through the year this year and yeah, I getting have, through 50 and a quarter would be impossible the right. goal would have to be 50 in a year and even that's a lot but but still I mean you know and we're talking reading you know so 
I don't know if we're getting a little bit too picky or we're getting a little bit too high expectation, but come on, to be a successful reader and writer and just kind of a thinker in life, I don't know if they need to know in detail that many specific standards. So, um, yeah. so that's just my first thought in terms of, and I, and I know that's not even like a building. They can't, if I'm talking about my perfect building, I can't say, okay, well, I know the state says we have 50 standards, but our building's only doing 10. Right. So that's, that's what I was kind of thinking in terms of, you know, there are some bigger things out there in play that we do need to fit our, our world into. But that's kind of the first thought that I was thinking about. So the second one I want to talk about is, and it does kind of relate to that tweet, what we said, we have got to figure out how to build on what we have learned in the remote setting. Because I think that the remote setting, though nationally has been challenging for many, 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 many students and teachers, it has also been an amazing thing for some kids and they really have, they just thrive in the environment of mm -hmm. the remote. And it does offer so many different options that are not available during a standard setting that somehow we need to remote or build on that. So that's, you know, perhaps we need to create more online schools or design some blended schools. And I'm not saying this needs to be a district-wide thing, but those options need to be available for kids that did well in this setting moving forward. And, I, and I'm not sure how that's going to happen. I just hope that a lot of districts do that. I think so. You and I, I think we're in the office at the same time a couple days ago, and, and there was a student in there checking in his computer because it broke or something. I don't remember what it was, but this kid and his mom could not, you know, stress high enough how powerful uh, the online, this remote world had become for him. And this is a student I had last year as a seventh grader who really struggled to be in school in in person you know you could talk about whether this child's missing out on the social things or not who knows but i think like let's go some stereotypes when you think about like typical computer programmer engineer guy um, that enjoys long stretches at their computer working he kind of fits that mold and i think like this kind of hit his stride with how to learn and how to move forward and it's not to say that he will be stuck at his computer forever, but I think we have those kids that are kind of like that, you could almost call computer-based a learning style, just like we have tactile, mm -hmm. you know. Absolutely. Um, and auditory, et cetera. I think computer-based, we could even consider that kind of learning style, and I think that was his learning style. Well, and and he's kind of, you know, and, and I don't know, stereotyping, but I mean, he's kind of socially <laughs> awkward, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he did, I don't know if he's bullied, but kids kind of gave him a hard time which was a distraction. And when he's at home, he's not getting that from the other kids and he is able to focus. So, so I definitely think that something like that needs to be, and personally, I, I like the hybrid, you know, because I do think it's very important for the kids to be able to come to school and have that face time with the teachers to clear up any misconceptions that are, are getting in the way in the online environment. But I think that online definitely has its advantage. The last thing I want to say in terms of just kind of overall philosophy is that as an administrator, you know, I do a lot of walkthroughs. I go in and out of classes all the time. And what I see a lot of the times are teachers teaching, you know, and, and I get it. They're teachers. That's your mm -hmm. job, Ryan. You are a teacher. But that doesn't mean that you need to talk 
the entire class period. <laughs> yep. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'll see teachers, they'll, they'll be talking, and, and then they'll give the assignments, and then they'll keep talking, and it's like you'll see the kids, they'll start working, and then the teacher will stop, start talking, and they'll stop working because the teacher really is becoming a distraction. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd really like to, uh, what, what's that, the d- design thinking? You know, I know we talked about it a little bit with Corey Henwood, and we're going to talk about it a lot more next week with our, our guest next week. Who's our guest next week? It is Todd Flory. Todd Flory. I was going to call him Ross Flory, but it's Todd Flory. We're going to talk about some design thinking next week in our episode, but, but really trying to figure out some student-led projects, somehow really focus our professional development, not that it's not already happening, but even more so and, and get more of that expectation that we have got to figure out how to teach to be the more the facilitators as the teachers and put those students in a position for them to uncover the information on their own rather than all of our teachers always feeling like we have to give the information. If we don't give it, they're not going to learn it. And that's just not fair to the kids, and it's not challenging them. So I'd really like to make sure that whatever my school looks like, that it is student-led and students are working on projects all the time. I have a question for you, too, that I'll say in a second related to that. I am. I do want to encourage you all to definitely check out next week, or I don't know when we'll release it, but Todd Flory, you can just tell when you look at his, his website that based on the pictures and the things he does in his classroom, he is a teacher that steps aside. He's a guide on the side, much more than a sage on the stage. And those kids are engaged in doing projects that are meaningful to them, which is, is pretty awesome. So I, I'm looking forward to that and picking his brain for how do teachers teach more like that and step out of their sage on the stage role that they might feel more comfortable in. Yeah. Back to our tweet of the week. And if you haven't if you haven't listened to our Corey Henwood episode, you might want to go back to that. It's a couple episodes back. It was our first episode in our grading series, but he's doing a charter school in Utah, and and they do a lot of this stuff. Um, Travis Lappe is, well, I'll get into my specific people. When I want to ask you my question about what you're just talking about here. So think about as a, either you're a teacher that wants to interview for a place that, that celebrates this kind of learning. That's, that's my question to all of you. How do you set yourself up to shine that way? But for you as an administrator and you're hiring people, how do you, what kind of questions do you think you would ask or what, what, how can you tell that a teacher would prefer to be a facilitator rather than a blabbermouth in the front of the classroom? Well, one of my main questions is, is I, I, I always ask the teachers, my question is, you know, imagine that I am a fly on the wall in your classroom. Just kind of take me through a skeleton outline because I don't need to know about specific content. For instance, let's say I'm hiring a language arts teacher. I mean, I'm going to assume that they understand the concepts of language art. I mean, they went to school. But what I really want to know is what does your class look like? And, and what I'm looking for, and I know this is cliche and I know teachers get tired of hearing it, but, but I want to make sure that, that the teacher is going to, A, tell the kids ahead of time what we're going to learn. I want to make sure that all the kids know exactly what we're going to learn, which falls into some stuff we've talked about before in terms of teacher clarity. Teacher clarity has a very high effect size, 0.75. Um, I actually put a tweet on my personal Twitter the, day, or the other day that, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between students knowing the activity they're doing 
versus what they're learning. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I go into class, I'm like, hey, what are you learning today? And they're like, oh, we're reading this story. But that's not really what you're learning. Yes, you are reading the story, but your teacher picked that story because there's a purpose of what they want you to learn. So, so what I'm looking for when I'm hiring a teacher is somebody that's going to, A, lay out their class ahead of time, what they're going to learn. Um, tell me about, you're going to do an intro because yes, you are the teacher. You have to do some teaching and there's got to be like an intro into your lesson about, hey, this is what we're doing today and kind of laying out the expectations. But then I want to hear the teacher tell me that the students are going to be working the rest of the time and they're going to be walking around monitoring and helping. Um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily looking for a teacher and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of value in being an excellent lecturer, but I'm not looking for a teacher that is just going to lecture and is going to talk to me about all the fantastic notes that they're going to have kids take and and all that stuff. I'm really looking for a hands-on teacher. And you just kind of, when you ask that, give me a skeleton outline of your class, Mm -hmm. you kind of get that, you know, and again, keep in mind, it's an interview. I mean, they're telling you exactly what, what. What they think you want to hear so what they tell you isn't always translating into reality but you know that's that's how it goes so so that's my general question is give me a skeleton all right all right so anyway so check this out this is what i'm gonna get a little bit outside the box and and i do i do get a little um uh, a little crazy but um i think you know we've done some some community days where we bring businesses out to our school and we'll have a rotational station where all these kids get to go see some real world businesses and whatnot and 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 i've seen the kids super engaged in these activities they really enjoy it because it's hands-on it's real to them they they get to do cool activities and they're led by somebody other than their teacher so I would like to really, if I'm talking about a dream school, now let me preface this because we're dreaming here. So really this is kind of more of a charter school. Kids have to want to come here. Parents have to want to come here. Um, but, but I would like to really look at figuring out how we can get some more community and business involvement. How can we tie business partners to our schools and schedule them on consistent intervals to come work with the same kids on existing projects. And I'm not trying to pawn off the teaching onto the business, but what I'm trying to do is give the kids some real world application stuff so they can understand why, what they're learning, how it translates into a future career. So, so somehow, you know, getting the businesses involved and also, you know, within this idea, and I know I'm supposed to be talking about just a building, but let's just dream about a feeder pattern, you know, like a secondary feeder pattern. Perhaps we can align feeder pattern, like a charter feeder pattern, where, where the schools um, somehow figure out how the middle schools working in the interest level that they choose can go to a specific high school that's got that theme, that, that business career mindset theme. And, you know, so maybe like in, in, in Wichita where we're at, we got big aviation in town, you know, so maybe we have like a, like a middle school that really focuses on aviation mm-hmm. that leads into that high school and, and what different people from the, the variety of different um, aviation companies that we have in Wichita, how can we partner up with them and get them a part of our school? Um, so I think, I think that would be really cool. Uh, I'm not really sure how it would um, happen, but, but here's how we can sell it to the community. I mean, we can sell it to the businesses as this is a way for you to identify future employers. 
Mm-hmm. You know, though college is great, it isn't for everyone. And if students are able to work on projects and their interest level with the same industry for several years, they can network and perhaps go straight to work from school. And I think that's ideal. I think I brought this up in another school. And again, I don't have the facts on this. I haven't researched it to find out if my brother was lying to me or not. But my brother did tell me that he heard that there's some uh, big industries, big, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies that they just go to the high schools and they say, hey, let me talk to the top 5% of your class and really recruit them straight out of high school and say, listen, college is great, but it's going to cost you a hundred grand you know, come work for me. I've got a training program at my business that I can train you and, and really develop you into the kind of person that could be a successful employee at my business. And I want you to come work for me straight out of high school. And uh, if we can foster those relationships and get that experience to kids and, and their interest levels when they're younger, you know, hopefully we can partner with those community businesses and really give them the employees that they want to be working for. I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that crazy or what? Oh, that's definitely not crazy. You uh, have already done one of my main points of talking uh, for my dream school, for sure. I think in olden days, you know, school districts are, I I come from a small town, so it's a little different in Wichita, but maybe once upon a time this was true here too, that schools were the hub of the community. Like that was where activity came from. Um, That's where you went on Friday nights for games. You just I was a primary employer in the community as well um, that's true here but that that kind of community tie that schools have to the the schools and vice versa I think could totally be strengthened um, no matter where you live I think that tie has loosened in even small towns and and so just how cool would that be when when communities see what's happening in the schools they feel like they're providing a benefit to the schools and that they're giving them input on hey here are the learners that we want to see coming out of this school Um, and then schools are saying hey thank you because this is actually really good because you know kids want to know what the heck am i going to do with this learning and they get to see how their learning applies for kind of like that adult world that they're hoping to enter into probably sooner than later (laughs) yeah and following up on that i mean you're right I, i think there has been this disconnect you know, uh, over the course of education, I mean, more and more responsibility has been put on the schools in terms of teaching values and teaching just a lot of that stuff that generally used to happen at home really has fallen on the schools. And, and there is kind of that disconnect between after school and school, you know. So uh, my other thought is that knowing that hard work and and building those relationships with the community and it could actually lead to a career who knows that might motivate the student now keep in mind i'm talking about a charter school i mean i understand that that not all students are maybe ready for that kind of environment mm-hmm. um you know so so the the traditional school you know for those students that are far behind i mean that still probably needs to that does need to be there but not necessarily, I mean, I'm dreaming. Ryan said you can dream, right? So I'm, I'm dreaming and I'm thinking about what could be ideal. Um, but, but I think the idea that you can go straight to work in a field that you have decided that you really have a lot of interest in could be a motivating factor for students. And when you talk about being locked down to the de- uh, state district, whatever limitations of standards in this case you actually aren't because there are career 
the CTE standards are encouraging kids to have that um, individualized, uh, what do you call that, plan of study yeah. that ties in with their career technical dreams and aspirations. And so this is like a perfect way to really make this come alive because I st still think it's just a poster on the wall literally in my room of some careers you could do someday so yep. uh, it's a way to make that applicable and and okay so moving on so so we talked about i want to get to businesses i mean obviously we've had a series on grades i i want to do the way with them okay i'm gonna blow up Heck the grade yes. system i'm gonna blow up the grade system and i and i'm gonna say you know that these feeder pattern schools or just this school um they're gonna identify what they deem to be the most important essential skills that their students will need to be successful and then we're going to design our courses around those skills so so we're going to do away with grades we're going to and, and again i don't know if you watched ross or you listened to our corey henwood but um, uh, you know they do some work with the mastery transcript is it mastery, mastery transcript consortium or mastery consortium transcript mastery transcript Consortium. They do some work with that in terms of, uh, you know, they've identified what they feel to be the most valuable skills, and, and then they've, they've created the badging system that we've mm -hmm. talked about so much, and that, that is with the mastery transcript. And, you know, when you show that you master a certain skill, you get that badge, and that goes in like an online backpack. And if we've got our community involved in, in discussing what those most important skills are, then check this out, that that backpack then becomes like a working resume. And when that student does go to look at getting a job post high school, they have that resume of badges that shows their mastery level in the variety of skills that our community has decided is the most important thing that students should learn. Now, this is going to require districts to reorganize their central office. And I know I keep bouncing back between district and central office, and maybe this is at the central office, or maybe this is just instructional coaches at the building level. But instead of spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on instructional coaches and executive coordinators, you know, and again, those people are important, but I don't know, you know, depending on how big your district is and how watered down your downtown is, you know, every, we have a variety of listeners with a variety of different uh, uh, district sizes, but district, district employees downtown. Oh, sure. Some of us have a bigger, a more focused downtown environment. Some of us are more focused at the local. But um, we're going to have to create a new business or a new position, and we're going to call that position a uh, community coordinator that works with the local industries and businesses to design meaningful curriculum that motivates students. Um, curriculum experts can work with the businesses to determine how standards, how the standards that we've already minimized into priority standards can fit into the equation and collaboratively design curriculum with community stakeholders. And, and I think that would be fantastic. You know, businesses are always saying, this is what we need our kids to know when they get out. Why not reach out to them and talk to them and give them an active part in the designing of what we are preparing our students to become. And actually, uh, it's interesting you say that because I just found a job recently up the road uh, that was that was for this exact thing. So it's kind of cool to see that this exists. What this, road is that? This was I-35, 135 <laughs> Interstate, uh, 
McPherson, Kansas. Theirs was specifically for um, sp students in certain SPED, uh, I guess, you, I don't know what you call that, not classrooms, but there are certain uh, special education students that maybe struggled to find career placement opportunities. But this job was community career liaison, essentially. And I thought, what a cool idea that they're already connecting kids with jobs and the jobs with the kids. And, and I think obviously you could develop that to go district wide. This was a very specific program targeted for certain kids. But how cool is that? I love your idea. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I'm saying stuff and some of this stuff might already be happening. Um, I don't know if it's happening like nationwide or whatnot. And it probably does happen more at the high school level. And we work at the middle school level. But so so what I'm thinking is trying to really start this stuff a little bit sooner yeah. Um, and, it, you know, obviously, if we're talking about Dream District, if we have each high school within a district, uh, and if you have a big district that has more than one high school, you know, each high school can have that focus. And then the middle school programs can really be much more broader in the sense, you know, so the students have three years really to get exposed to a variety of things, which is really the focus of middle school that I feel has been lost over the course of the inception of middle school because we've been focused so much on adding intervention classes and these classes and, and just these classes that, to help kids fill in the gaps, which I'm not saying is not important because some kids need that. But at the same time, I think some of it can be a little bit overwhelming as well. You know, my, my analogy to this has always been, you know, if I go out for the basketball team and I can't dunk, you know, I just, I can't dunk, right? And, and the coach says, all right, you're not going to play until you can dunk. And he builds all kinds of drills for me to learn how to dunk the basketball. And I, and I, just, I just can't do it. You know, I, you know, give me a trampoline and maybe, but I do not have the ability to dunk. And, and sometimes I feel that like excessive intervention classes, though they're important, are just like that. You know, I mean, there are some kids that are super good at math, you know, and there are some kids that are not very good at math. I'm one of those people that's not very good at math. But again, and I can get a little sidetracked, but if we think about the whole theme of our podcast and some of the stuff that we're talking about, my goal as an educator is to give those kids that are struggling in certain areas skills to show them how to figure it out. So I may not be good at figuring out a perimeter or figuring out, you know, the, the specific things in math that are taught. But if I got the skill set, I can go Google that and I can figure it out. So uh, anyway, got a little random. But uh, let me talk about this, because obviously we can't do away with the core classes. I mean, we have to have the four core classes. We've got to have the reading, the writing, the math, the social studies, science. I mean, we've got to have that. But do you think there's an I, I just wrote a little note to myself of that really do we and I think there's probably a a basis I, I believe in a sense of some classical education you could almost call it where you have to build the foundation but I also believe like there's a certain point where and I'll talk about this on my episode where it's like screw the core content classes like let's get do away with them because I'm going to forget that we have state and national standards but my question for you is, would you say that when you say we can't do away with core classes, is there a certain age at which you'd say they become less relevant or less necessary? Like once I can read to fifth grade level, I'm good. Or is it necessary all the way to K-12? What are your thoughts there? Well, I guess that takes me back to my college years when um, I was studying. And, and, and I remember 
going through college and, and learning all these different theories and whatnot, and I was really turned on by the whole language approach. So, so you're absolutely right. You know, so I guess I could backtrack because you're right. You do need social studies, right? But at the same time, social studies requires a lot of reading, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it requires a lot of uh, nonfiction reading, maybe a lot of persuasive stuff. So, so you're right. A lot of the standards, say, in language arts can transfer into that social studies. You know, a way to reduce some of those standards as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because you could be teaching, you know, how to write persuasive essays in a social studies class. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be teaching how to read uh, uh, technical writing in, or technical reading and technical writing in a science class. So, so there is a way to combine a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, keep in mind, you know, and I should have maybe prefaced this, I'm really more of an idea guy. You know, I can throw out ideas left and right, and, and I, I kind of think in a big picture way, and I, can, and I can throw out all these things, but how to put it all together, you know, I need people like you and other people to kind of help me, you know, let me just vomit my ideas out, and then as a team, which then this brings us back to one of our other big things, we've talked about collective efficacy, but as a team, we can decide, you know, what's the best way to do that. So, so you're right, I mean, we could combine some of that stuff, but my main goal is to make schools more elective heavy. Because let's get real, some of our kids, the only reason they come to school is because of the electives. You know, you, you may not be a very good student, but you come to school because you really like to play the trumpet, you know, mm-hmm. or, or you really like to go to PE. So, so how can we design more electives and give students more choice to explore their interest and prepare them better for the future than always just focusing on this rote memorization and this, this just, we have to stuff as much knowledge in your brain as possible or you're not going to be successful in life. When really the goal should be like David Franjosa said. And what I love about this podcast is that it, it's been such an eye-opening experience and such a learning experience. We've talked to so many different people, but David Franjosa talks about, you know, my main focus is to teach the skills Mm -hmm. you know you have a variety of content but you use the same skills for all the content so what you're doing is you're teaching students that even if they come upon a new problem that they've never experienced before in their life they have the skill set to troubleshoot and find that answer rather than trying to create a bunch of walking encyclopedias that know everything because let's get real I don't remember everything from when I went to school. I don't even remember most of it. I remember some of my favorite teachers and I remember some of the cool projects we did, but I don't, I mean, give me the state assessment for for back when I was in eighth grade. I don't even know if I could pass it, Right. you know? But yet we're expecting a 13-year-old to do it and we're holding it accountable and we're holding our schools accountable. And I'm not saying it's not important because yes, we've got to have some kind of accountability system to prove that what we're doing is working. We can still prove there's, I think what it really comes down to is laziness on the part of the state in terms of easy data, because what we really need when we're testing skills is qualitative data. And that's tough, that's tough to put on graphs and, and measure in the same way, but what's, that's what really is what we're looking for when we're testing skills and testing, giving feedback as a measure of growth those are qualitative things, and, and so 
it's tough, I think, when you're looking at a system of, you know, X million students, how do you, how do you gather that data quickly and concisely and put it in pretty graphs so we can tell whether you've measured or not up to these standards. And I don't know if it's lazy. Laziness probably It's is built not, on an old system, too. Well, that, but laziness is not necessarily the fair way of, of doing it because lazy lo- data, logistically, it it's also really hard to grade, say, a, a performance assessment with fidelity if you have multiple people grading it. And For then, sure. <laughs> and then there's, a, there's a huge cost involved because it's very timely, so you've got to pay all of these people to read all these formative assessments or to watch all these videos and and then you've got to have a rubric and then you've got to assume that everybody's grading the rubric the same way yeah so we don't want to call it lazy data but it's just super easy to take a multiple choice test on a computer and break that down and then you can itemize it by question so so again, like I said, I'm an idea guy. I'm throwing stuff out there. I don't know how to make it work. I think that some of it goes down to, I'll talk about this in mind, the idea of feeling comfortable with centralized systems versus decentralized systems. Because my initial thought was, you know, the state doesn't have to do this work. Every classroom in every district, each teacher could do the work and self-report. But then people are like, oh, I don't know if I could trust that. Um, and, That's the main thing. It comes down but yeah, to trust. It's like, if you can trust the system, you have you have the many hands make light work in that situation uh, that I think could come through. Right. And so and that's the problem know. with education is a trust. I mean, the state doesn't necessarily trust the districts. The districts don't necessarily trust the buildings. The building administrators don't necessarily trust the teachers. So right. I, I mean, you know, we can't take the human element out of this. And don't get me wrong, the reason why people can't be trusted is because unfortunately. It goes with our world and our human experience. I mean, everybody has their different levels of expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, some teachers are super good. Some teachers struggle and they're not as good and it doesn't come as naturally to them. Uh, same thing with buildings. Some buildings are good. So we can, we can beat that to a dead horse. But anyway, however this whole school comes together or whatever, I just think that student choice and student interest must be at the heart of the learning. And, and how do you do that? Well, there's some schools that are doing some really cool stuff. You know, um, I, I brought up Travis Lappe. I think I'm saying his name right at the beginning. He works at a, uh, a school in Harrisburg, South Dakota. Google him. There's some cool videos of what they're doing. They do some way outside the box stuff. I mean, each each student is assigned to like a cohort of kids and they all go to like this homeroom at the beginning. They have a whole menu of what they're going to work on and they get to choose where they go and then they break out and they go work on these projects in these different rooms. Uh, we talked to Corey Henwood. His school's got a lot of stuff going on in Utah. Uh, go to his Twitter page, at Corey Henwood, and uh, check out his website and what his school is doing. Um, but Joe Hannah Brown. Uh, well, She's yeah. The un- Joe and Hannah Brown is more of the ungrading part. Right. Um, but uh, uh, there's a school, you know, I brought this up in one of our earlier episodes. I met this guy in Kansas City one time. And he teaches at a high school, and so it's not a middle school. But what's really cool about the class that he teaches is that it's not even on site. You know, the class is, is at the industry, you know, and the industry has given him a classroom. And those kids are really working on real-world projects that, that deal with that industry. And again, 
that industry has that group of kids that they're able to recruit from and offer jobs straight out of high school and offer them the training because let's get real college yes i mean it's it's important but it's just kind of like a watered down high school really you know yes you pick a major and yes you get specific things but i'll give you an example i mean i got a teaching degree right, right. you would think i got a teaching degree i come in and first day of teaching like i'm gonna be a super teacher i mean no i didn't have a clue what i was doing you know, because everything that I learned prior to that was in theory. And when I actually got to doing it, that's when I kind of learned. So I'm not saying that teachers don't even need teaching degrees, but for real, you know, if we had a program, I mean, in a school district, and we just started looking for good people, good people, hard workers that are willing to put in the work to be good, we can train them to do whatever we want. So I'm right. not saying college is a bad thing. I'm just saying that it's not for everything. And I think our society has put so much focus on college that we put so many people in, in such a hole before they even start their life with debt that they spend their whole life trying to get out of the debt. So um, anyway, so with all this in mind, you know, I guess my dream state would be then to have a, and I'm sure they've got this out here, but it needs to be more formalized. Is, is to form a national collaborative group for schools using this kind of program to collaborate and learn from each other, mm -hmm. you know? And then maybe it rolls into a, a national plan. But then that takes us back to the problem because then it's a national plan and then it, it, it can get kind of watered down because not everybody's gonna do it with fidelity. So it's really better to kind of keep it at the local level. I think you're right. Uh, local change, I believe, is always best because that's where you got to start anyway to grow those movements of change. And you pointed out a lot of good things from switching up how we grade when we think about school to incorporating businesses and the community, engaging them in our schools both from outside in and I think inside out. And uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed listening to this. Check out Todd Flory. Uh, he'll be our next interviewee. Right, because this was a break of technology. That's right. Todd's going to bring us back into our technology theme. So, And uh, he's at Todd Flory. That's, oh, wait, I said that wrong. At Todd underscore Flory. That's T-O-D-D for the Todd and F-L-O-R-Y for Flory. So at Todd underscore Flory. He's on Twitter. Uh, check him out and... Forget his web website address, it's but if a, you even link look him up, on, it's the right link's there. on Twitter. Yeah, links on Twitter. So check him out. Just do some research. Uh, I think it'll help contextualize uh, the episode as well. And we're looking forward to talking to him about all he's done. Yeah, and we're on Twitter too at thepegdoesn'tfit.com. You know, we just kind of rolled that at the peg doesn't fit on Twitter. Oh yeah, no.com. <laughs> so we just kind of rolled that out. Really, it's only been on for a couple of weeks, and we appreciate uh, uh, many of you coming on and following us. And uh, uh, if you want to get in touch with me personally, my personal Twitter is Eric J. Steven. And what are you, Ryan? I'm at Ryan D. Bartle one That is correct. Don't forget the one because we don't know who that other guy is. We, we do certainly not. don't want you blowing him up. You can get a hold of us at our email at thepegdoesn'tfit at gmail.com. Still waiting on that first voicemail that we would love to hit to actually play on our show, you can leave us a message at anchor.fm slash the peg doesn't fit. And real quick, before we leave, I do want to give a quick shout out. We have a listener from Egypt, oh, which would nice. be new. So we are, we are getting, uh, uh, we are further stretching our audience around the globe. So thank you from Egypt. We hope you came back for your second episode. 
And as always, if you do like what you hear, feel free to uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Feel free to hit us up on our Twitter. Uh, I know that we post these website or the podcast weekly and sometimes bi-weekly on our Twitter page. If you like one of our shows, leave us a little feedback and, and hopefully some of your followers will pick it up because we are always trying to expand our audience and get as much people involved as we can because we feel like we have some good stuff to say and I know that we've been bringing on, I mean, shoot, our last four guests have been awesome and I am looking forward to Todd Flory. We've also got a couple more uh, banked up for technology sessions after Todd and then we are going to transition into our leadership session. So thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on The Peg Doesn't Doesn't Fit. Fit.